of shame is, you know, someone making this moral judgment of you that doesn't say there's something wrong with what you did. It's something wrong with who you are, right? It's right there in the words. You should be ashamed of yourself. Hello, and welcome to the Unlearning Podcast, a show about heart-forward bad bitchery, taking up space, and unapologetic self-expression. I'm your host, Jenna Slaughter. I'm an embodiment coach, a heart-forward business coach, speaker, and facilitator of healing. And every other week, I'm going to bring you a topic that's going to light you up, it's going to help you heal, and help you embody the purpose that you know deep down you are really here for. Are you ready? Let's get into it. So today I've gotten to interview Colleen Doyle Bryant. She's an author of five books and more than 50 learning resources about character and values. Her latest book, Rooted in Decency, looks at the decline in common decency in society and the ways that we can build more trust and cooperation. Colleen's Talking with Trees series for elementary students and the Truth Be Told quote series for teens are used in curriculums around the world with more than 100,000 of her good values resources downloaded each year. Colleen has a bachelor's in sociology from Duke University, and I just love the position that she takes here. And everything is brought back to psychology and what's going on in our brain and what's going on in the world and how do we operate within that and create change. So um, I hope that you love this conversation. I think it's incredibly timely with the midterms going on in the good old US of A and everybody is rooted in what they believe is right and true. It is, we speak to the us versus them mentality the fear that happens in our brain and how do we find any common ground with people that are starting with, I think you are wrong for existing. I hope you love this conversation. I loved it. And I think it is a really inspiring at the end of the day because we can create change from an individual level. Welcome, Colleen. Thank you so much for being here and uh, coming on to the Unlearning Podcast. I really appreciate you having me here today. Yeah. So we've already let the audience know all of the beautiful things that you're up to, uh, including the book that you have just launched on common decency and how we find space for peace in this world of divisiveness that we Mm -hmm. are operating within. Mm -hmm. Can you tell the audience a little bit about the positions that you've taken um, in this book? Like, what are some of the reasons that you find that people are acting so divisively towards one another right now? Yeah. So I thought what was interesting as I wrote the book, what, what kind of drove me to even investigate the topic is that, you know, difficult things have always happened in life. We've always had challenges, but we haven't dealt with them in this way, in this sort of hyper negative divided sort of way. So what's the difference now as compared to times we've dealt with challenges in the past? And we see what started about 30 years ago, this change in the way that we talk to each other. And instead of talking about the specifics of issues of here's this issue, here's the good of it, here's the bad of it, here's the harm, here's the benefit. We instead started talking about 
issues and each other in terms of moral judgment, moral disgust. And it's created this climate where we avoid specifics and we just make these kind of blanket, this is all bad, this is all good, right? And mm -hmm. and we use this disgust response and we, we use words in particular. There are words that trigger a biological disgust response in people. They've become so common that we have this this emotional reaction that says, oh, you're a threat to me. Mm. And it shuts down our ability to have a conversation on real information. And instead we just come at every issue from a place of fear and the other. Mm. So it's, it's more of this um, simplifying in a world that is very gray to being black and white. Mm -hmm. and us versus them so how do exactly. we yeah so where where do we go from there when we notice that we are triggered into the hey I am not safe because as somebody that's part of the LGBTQ community uh, we are no stranger to being told that we are going to hell or being, I, I live in Portland and we have literal hate groups that will travel in from the outskirts and other parts of Eastern Oregon. And they will go and find and seek out people that are trans or gender non-conforming and inflict physical violence upon them. How do we navigate this and recognize the difference between like in our brain, like how do we recognize the difference between like I am in actual danger versus like I am in perceived danger and being able to, how do we re-engage with that, that, the parts of our brain that are able to have conversation? Yeah. Well, the one, one step toward doing that is to first recognize that those sensations that you feel in your body, they are signals. And sometimes a fear-based signal is a real fear-based signal, right? Like, yeah. hey, there is a danger here. Protect yourself, move yourself to a safe location. And I also live in Portland, by the way. So I totally know what you're talking about. And there would be times when, I, you know, listen to the fear and get yourself someplace safe. Yeah. Um, but there may also be times that fear comes in and it's just an alert bell. It says, hey, there might be danger here. Maybe you need to pay attention but we don't have to automatically go to that place of fear, right? So one of the, one of the reasons that we get into that, that place of fear as opposed to being rational is that this use of shame that we talked about earlier, the fact that society does this thing now where we skip over the rational arguments and we go to this place where we're making moral judgments on people. So the first thing to do is recognize that fear, like most of our emotions, they're our body giving us a signal. They're giving us information. We don't have to take that information at face value, you know, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, let's say you're walking through the woods and you hear a crunch on the side. Your body goes, oh my gosh, there's something out to get me, right? But maybe it was actually just a little bunny hopping by. And then you go, oh, okay, I'm all right. It was just a bunny. So if we recognize fear as that signal, we can say, all right, there are times that that may be something really dangerous and we need to take care of ourselves and get us to a place of safety. 
On the other hand, it may be something else where we're not in actual physical danger and we can take that moment to pause and think about what do I need to learn from this signal. Mm. So is that really the the difference is the pause between mm-hmm. the stimulus, the reaction, and the assessment. Exactly. The psychologists would call this uh, mindful or mindless thinking, right? So we have two parts of our brain. We've got the, the instinctive fear, fight, or flight kind of part, and then we have the more executive part. And so your fight or flight part is faster, but less accurate. Mm-hmm. But your executive part is a little slower, but it's more accurate. So when you when you just take that second, it lets the accuracy come in and you can engage more of those um, incredible human gifts where we can evaluate, we can measure, we can decide, we can take rational action. We don't have to automatically go to the place, you know, there, there's a security in reacting quickly and defensively, mm-hmm. but it may be robbing us of the opportunity to engage a little bit more mindfully. Yeah. So do you think that what we are seeing happening right now is a lack of the pause, the divisiveness that's happening is like this continued stoking of that you have this thing to be fearful of, you have this thing to be fearful of, and then immediately there's somebody and it just we can't dis disassociate politics from from what's happening right now. There's immediately this this is why it's here you have you have this big thing to be fearful of, and this person is the reason why. This morality is why, this badness is why, and they're coming to get you. Like so it just keeps people in this like fear and reaction that keeps them in this like kind of like hypervigilance. Is that yeah, so that is that is definitely part of it because your brain reacts differently when you're in a state of fear. It also decreases your ability to think clearly. Um, you know, stress has been shown to make people um, less able to think clearly and to act more uh, from a self-defense state than from a rational state. But the other big thing that's going on here with this moral argument is that people are using shame instead of reason and shame people don't react to shame the same way they do reason so let me give you a a, a quick little psychology synopsis here right human beings have a natural uh, instinct to care and to respond empathetically when they see harm we have evolved to have that so when we see an action and a consequence and a harm that is caused it's our instinct to go ooh oh, that's harm, that's not good. Maybe I need to do something about that. That's not how shame works, right? Shame is, you know, someone making this moral judgment of you that doesn't say there's something wrong with what you did. It's something wrong with who you are, Mm -hmm. right? It's right there in the words. You should be ashamed of yourself. Yeah. And so if our purpose in life is like this, this positive sense of self and achieving, uh, you know, I am a worthy human being and someone comes along and says, oh, no, there's something fundamentally wrong with yourself. That's where we get this, this sense of fear, like, oh, my gosh, they're saying my whole being shouldn't be here or shouldn't exist or shouldn't be the way it is. Mm -hmm. 
yeah, we, we see that so much growing up in the gay community. I mean, I mean, almost all of us started in the closet and, um, that's seemingly the common binding experience when I speak to others in the queer community is we've all had that moment of time where we've thought like, oh, is there something wrong with me? It's like, we recognize the difference. Oh, there's something wrong with me. I am, there's something to be shameful of because the messaging is everywhere, whether it is friends, family, parents, uh, society and generalized media as a whole, or like religion is really there. I mean, there's whole, this whole generation is doing a lot of deconstruction around religion and religious shame. I did a, we talked about this before we started recording, but I did a, um, a poll on my Instagram earlier this year and it asked for just like people in the LGBTQ community, have you ever been told that you're going to hell or that you are wrong for being queer? And 100% of people said yes. Mm. And then the follow-up question was, did that bring you any closer to that religion? And the answer was no. Mm. So these are ineffective tactics and I'm having a really hard time (laughs) figuring out why it's so persistently used because it's not effective and it's, it's really detrimental. It's causing the trans community to specifically have the highest rate of suicide. Mm -hmm. Feel free to speak to that. Yeah. So, so in terms of trying to get people to change their behavior or to agree with your point of view, shame is kind of like the opposite of what of what you want to do, right? Because the way people react to shame is that it makes them feel powerless. It makes them feel small. Uh, it can make them feel defensive, right? Like we talked, now you're coming from a place of fear. And so they may, they may uh, internalize that and, and it can be a really painful thing for your sense of who you are or people will turn away from it they'll 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 push back and they'll get angry and they'll turn to other people who say no you don't need to be ashamed there's nothing wrong with you right mm-hmm. so that's part of this divisiveness like if you want to get people to change their mind you don't attack them in such a way that they want to turn away from you toward people who will really assure them that mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong with them right it fosters oh. more divisiveness. It doesn't pull people together. I would love to hear you speak more on that. So how do you go into those instances and change minds? Yeah. Well, the first thing is that you you assume good enough intent that maybe they're not actually attacking your whole self, right? I've met so many people that this is the phrase, this is the way the phrase goes. You know, I don't have any problem with queer people, but. Mm -hmm. And then there's some specific thing. There's some specific issue. There's a there's a circumstance or a degree or a way in which some specific thing is being done. And Mm -hmm. it doesn't actually mean that they think that that they're not really attacking the fundamental self of someone, at least not intentionally. It's happening, but they don't intend to. Um, And if they could if they could pause themselves and get to that specific then there's more of a chance that you can have this dialogue and and maybe have a meaningful 
discussion about, okay, well, what is the part of it or the way in which something is being done that you're concerned with? And let's address that piece of it. Mm-hmm. Mm. I, something that's coming up for me is that just because you're engaging in dialogue with somebody or hearing their opinion doesn't mean that you're co-signing onto it or agreeing with it. Mm, yeah. So this was a, a a wonderful revelation for me as I wrote the book because I, I take I take the four core human values, right? Not the religious values, though they are in all the religions, but I take the four core human values that make life possible, societal life possible for human beings. And one of them is respect. And when you really look at what respect means, right, there's this happy place in the middle where you're treating something with care because you feel it's important to do so. Mm. It's not that you're treating that person with care because you respect that individual. You're treating another human being with care because you value the idea that humans deserve dignity and that civil society matters. And so we treat people with respect because we value a life filled with respect, even if we don't agree with that individual. Mm. So some, some people might say that it is impossible to cooperate with people that inherently want to inflict harm. Like we have a real rising of anti-Semitism and racism and just overall violence. How do we cooperate without signing on to or what what is the saying where it's like when you choose to stand neutral in the face of oppression, you're signing on with the oppressor. Can you can you speak to how this is different than standing neutral? This is like an engagement, it sounds like. It's like a, a pause and trying to engage with, with the end goal to change minds. Almost, I'm almost feeling like this is like playing the long game. Right. So I have this this expression that I live by personally, which is in any conflict, figure out what you really want and then decide whether what you're doing is actually helping you get there. Mm. So if my goal long-term is to awaken people to the idea that that hate and anti-Semitism and, and anti-queer and anti so much anti, right? That That those ideas are counter to everything that makes someone a good human being. Mm-hmm. Well, if my goal is to change those minds, I need to go about it in a way where they'll listen. Bingo. So it is, it is playing the long game. It would be right. easier um, biologically in the short run to throw up our hands and be like, this is an absolute non, non-starter for me. I, I will not be around you. And I've, I've been guilty of this as well where I've had people where I'm like, if you voted this way, unfriend me, I'm done. And there are situations where that has been necessary for my own personal safety, but 
there has also been points where I have done that out of that fear response and not taking that second to just breathe and be like, is this something that I can tango with right now? Do I have the bandwidth? Mm-hmm. Um, and what that does from what I'm hearing from you is it turns us both away to go to our own little echo chambers where it has people go there, there, it's okay. And just reinforces our own views. Mm-hmm. Whereas in reality, things are a lot more complex. Like you said, with like the, I don't have a problem with queer people, but, and it's like, mm-hmm. well, it sounds like you're, you're discrediting everything you said before, but and we could just say that's wrong. Yeah. Um, or mm-hmm. if we have the bandwidth to engage in that dialogue and figure out what are, what's the, what are they actually trying to do here? What is their actual issue? And finding some kind of some kind of common ground, even if we aren't able to agree at the end of the day, we can have and foster more understanding about people's motivations. That's how we can come together as society and be able to function and operate together with respect and wholeness. Is what I'm hearing. Yeah, yeah, and I definitely want to make sure we get get to a minute to like resetting on those common those points of common ground because that's something we we communally need to do. But I would know when when we get in this moment, in this fear-based moment and say, whoa, you know, I don't want anything to do with you, right? Mm-hmm. That is its own form of shaming, right? So you're shaming mm-hmm. them in that moment to say, I cast you out. Like there is something fundamentally wrong with you. And I cast you out yeah. of my sense of, of society and group and community because something's wrong with you. And so you're actually causing in them the same fear-based response <laughs> where they're going to turn to their people, right? Yeah. So it's it's happening both ways. And I don't really think it's intentional a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. It's just become such a common way for people to interact that we don't recognize the magnitude of what we're doing. Yeah. Wow. Hmm. That's a really interesting uh, way to put that. Oh, I like that. I'm trying to think of where we want to go from here. Well, can we talk just a little bit about this idea of common ground? Please, please okay. do. So, so what I did in researching the book is I had this question that said, there are people who think they are doing something right when other people look at them and think they're doing something fundamentally wrong. Mm-hmm. Well, they can't both be correct. So, mm-hmm. you know, who's right? Who gets to decide what's right and wrong? Right. And so I went back through the world's major enduring religions, the Greek philosophers, legal system, human rights uh, platforms. And I said, what are the common values that persist through all of those ideas about how people should behave? And you would be stunned at how similar they actually are. So there's this one chapter in the book, if you'd like your mind to be blown, read chapter 12. It's it's about, it's like a little one pager on each of the world's major religions, just the moral code part of it, not the like how we should worship or what our relationship is with the supreme being, just like, how do you define what it is to be a good human being? Mm-hmm. And they're the same. <laughs> yep. And they break down to four core values, right? Mm -hmm. 
So these core values guide human behavior. How do we have relationships based in trust, fairness, and cooperation that make civilized life possible? It's just these four things. And all these other things that people are like, well, I need to live according to what my religion says, or I need to live according to what is my authentic self. Those things kind of sit on a layer above these core values that guide human behavior. So if we could remind people, if we could like reinvigorate our sense of what are these core things that need to be at the base and when do your personal values, when do your religious values contradict those, we might be able to have a little bit more productive discussion that says, hey, this thing you're proposing, this way you're talking about treating me, that conflicts with your your very core values. Yeah. And so what are those four core values that that tie everything together so number one is truth right truth truth has to sit at the foundation of everything because if we're not being honest with ourselves and with others then everything else we say is in doubt Mm -hmm. right you can't have trust without truth everything else is an empty promise Mm -hmm. if you don't know that people are being sincere in their words their deeds their intention Mm. the second one is respect so there is a reason every major religion has a version of the golden rule mm. right? treat treat others the way you'd like to be treated that's because it's it's kind of this core ground rule for how we interact as humans it it invites trust it's about fairness and it it's reciprocity right mm-hmm. that's the foundation of all human relationships mm-hmm. the next thing is responsibility that we are are responsible for our own growth and development, but we also do our duty to take care of others and to take care and nurture the relationships that make life happen. And the last is compassion, which is that we we acknowledge suffering and we look to see what is the right thing to do to alleviate that suffering. We share in each other's sorrows and we revel in each other's joys. And that makes life a whole lot more pleasant. Mm. Yeah, those are beautiful. I, I'm Definitely going to have to pick up your book and be able to read chapter 12. Um, so you've, you've talked a lot about the research that has gone into this book. Tell me more, like you've, you're published now. What, what comes, what comes next for you? Wow. Well, for me, this is about getting out a message, right? There's some beautiful teachings that I learned from a variety of of belief systems, from science, you know, modern happiness science and psychology and sociology and neurobiology. Like there's all these amazing insights that exist that that maybe regular people aren't going to be aware of in a different circumstance, right? So I gathered them together and synthesized them and then presented them in this conversational tone that says, hey, let's really think about who we are and who we want to be Mm. and what do we want society to look like so for me it's like how do I get that message out how do I get people talking and thinking Mm -hmm. about what the next phase of life needs to be because where we've been not really working for us you know right yeah and I think um this really hits on something that has been a common theme in the podcast too is is there's this ripple effect is that when we choose to create change within ourselves, it ripples into how we are interacting with other people. Mm-hmm. And that ripples out into our little world. 
And then that impacts the people in our little world to interact differently with their selves and the people in their world. And it's this systemic thing over time. We didn't get here in one day. Like you said, it was multiple decades of this influence and this learning to be disrespectful to one another's personhood. Mm-hmm. It's going to take a while for us to systemically reconnect with the respect and compassion and things that we want to have for the next part of the journey. So for you that are listening, I want to really empower you to start with the relationship within and don't underestimate the power that you have as an individual and the power that you have in your world to help make change at a societal level. There are a hundred different reasons that we could look at to be upset because the world is unjust and on fire right now, but there are a hundred and one reasons why we can still change that. So do the inner work. I love you so, 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 so much. Uh, I think that would be a really good place for us to kind of wrap things up. How can people connect with you, Colleen? Well, uh, I'm out on Instagram. And that's probably the best place to see. Uh, I put up different blogs that that I'm writing and and some some of the beautiful quotes I've collected from different people and Mm -hmm. included in the book. And they're, they're these these insights, these moments, I call them aha moments where you, where you read something like, Oh, Oh, I gotta, I gotta think about that. You know? Yeah. So if you want that bit of inspiration and then some, some writings that might help continue on the journey, that would be a good place to start. Awesome. So I will link to your Instagram in the show notes and uh, in the description below. And then where can people get your book so they can check out, especially chapter 12 and what you talked about with religion and those common values. Yeah, absolutely. Well, uh, if you go to rootedindecency.com, there are certainly links to lots of different sources that have it, but of course, Amazon or, you know, your, your usual bookstores are all carrying it. Um, Awesome. Just, I'll be, I'll be thrilled if people start reading and talking and opening up some minds. Awesome. Thank you so much for being here. I love this conversation and I think the Unlearning Podcast will be better for having this conversation. Thank you. Thank you so much. I love you so much. And if you would like some curated support, I encourage you to reach out for my embodiment mentorship or my heart forward business practices and we will get it sorted. I'm going to put the link for a connection call in the show notes here. There's no pressure, but if you feel the nudge, I encourage you follow it.